Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Open your Bibles to the 27th Psalm. We're going to read right through the Psalm, and we are going to... Continue our lesson from the 27th Psalm, beginning with verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of His, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over into the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me in such as breathe out cruelty. I have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for the Spirit of God that will quicken the Word in the hearts of your people. I thank you for attentive ears. I thank you, Father God, for the anointing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I'm going to give to you all ten steps right now. So, write them all down. So you can grab a hold of it. That way, should we be led another way, you've got all ten steps. Number one, ten things. You should be aware of in the time of trouble. And I say that if you'll understand and follow these precepts, you'll come out the victor every time. When trouble comes, trouble presents darkness. But Jehovah said, number one, I will be your light. When trouble comes, trouble presents bondage. But he said, I will be your salvation. Salvation stands for deliverer. That's number two. When trouble comes, it presents to us weakness. He said, Jehovah is my strength, the strength of my life. When trouble comes, number three is strength. Trouble presents fear. Fear will come to you. It will come your way. It will knock on your door. You might as well face up to it. It will knock on your door. But he said, my heart will not fear. So we have heart faith. 
When trouble comes, it seems as though we're in fear to God. We have lost our confidence. But he said, in this, number five, will I be confident? He has confidence in God. And then number six is an uplifted head or a right mental attitude. See, trouble presents heaviness. Heaviness and really a bad attitude. Woe is me. Why me? Self-pity. But he said, I'll be the glory and the lifter of your head. So number six, he is the lifter of our heads. Or to have a right mental attitude. Whichever way you want to put it. Uplifted head. Number seven was found in verse six also. Is joy and shouting. Trouble presents sighing and sorrow. Sorrow and sighing. You could locate yourself. If you see yourself walking around in a cloud of heaviness and sorrow and sorrow and sighing, then you know exactly where you're at when you look at your list. And you could find out by your list exactly what you should do to stand against the enemy, to stand against the trouble, the adversary, or the adversity. And then you'll find the next three, which we didn't cover at all, but I'm just going to give them to you. He said in verse 8, Seek my face. Number eight, seek my face. Trouble always leads us to another frame of reference. But the Lord said, seek my face. People get themselves in trouble, they're ready to react right away. So consequently, they don't want to wait on God. So instead of seeking His face, they'll seek another means of help. Number nine is found in verse 13. I had fainted. Faint not. Trouble causes us to faint. Remember, you'll remember that uh, in the book of Galatians, we might see that as we go on. Remember the book of Galatians, he said, you'll reap if you faint not. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about us fainting in our minds. So, number nine is faint not. Don't faint. And then, finally, trouble presents anxiety or a hurried spirit. And here in verse 14, number 10 is wait on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait on the Lord. Amen? So, if you'll put that somewhere that you can see it, Beware of it. I believe you can locate yourself in this list. I believe you can locate yourself and know how to deal with your situation, your adversity, your trouble, your circumstance. Now, I want to go back to a right mental attitude. And I've been led of the Lord to share this with you this evening. Having a right mental attitude concerning some things will incorporate it into what we're talking about here. But... I want to head towards having a right mental attitude towards the walk of faith, which will, really, this is a walk of faith that he's describing right here. So go with me to Mark 11:23, and uh, I want you to listen intently as I share with you some of these things I believe will be 
to your benefit. When one first enters into the walk of faith, he does not have a right mental attitude. And going into a walk of faith with the wrong attitude or wrong mental attitude will lead to disaster, destruction. And in a lot of cases, it will destroy the work of God before it ever gets off the ground. Especially when you're called to a ministry or called to do something of the Lord. So in Mark 11:23, here's what we find happening in the body of Christ. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain... Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. These scriptures are fact. They are true and They'll work for anybody, anytime, any particular individual. But you'd have to understand that making statements like this, or like these, statements like these two statements that Jesus made right here, has to have a lot behind them. And I'll give you one more that I knew had a lot of power behind it, and a lot of diligent study behind it, and it's found in John 15:7. You don't have to turn to it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done for you. People get so excited about these scriptures and I, glory to God, you're looking at one of them. I got so excited about these scriptures, I just began to shout. I know that it's Bible. I know that it's true. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you ask what you will, it will be done for you. And I just kicked up my heels and shouted glory. But, for some reason, I knew that I had, I see it now, a right mental attitude and a better mental attitude than some people towards these scriptures. I knew that those words, in order to be true, and they came from the lips of the Master, in order to be true, had to have a lot of study behind them. It had to have a lot of showing yourself to be approved unto God behind those scriptures. Those scriptures, that John 15, 7 is a power pack scripture. You, listen to this again. You ask what you will and it will be done for you. Powerful. Everybody wants to walk that way. Don't you want to walk that way? But you see, there's a whole lot behind it. An awful lot behind it. And the attitude that you have entering into the walk of faith will determine just how far along you get in it. So a right mental attitude concerning faith is what we want to discuss. And I'm going to show you something here. Go with me to the book of James, the first chapter. And uh, let's, let's start with verse 22. While you're locating that, I've been led to give you part of some of... I've been giving bits and pieces of our testimony... <laughs> Every now and then as the Lord has directed me to do so. And the reason why I don't give much more of it and much more testimonies is because all testimonies do is inspire people. They inspire you. They don't produce faith. They inspire you. But they produce a type of faith that's hard for an individual to get rid of. And that's faith in experiences. People get, people get faith. They have faith in my experience. 
They hear some great faith teacher just get up and give, you know, some testimonies about wonderful things that happened under his ministry. And they go off and they tell everybody else about it. And they feel that just because they could tell everybody else about it, it's going to work for them. Well, this is what we call faith in experience. Experience faith. You had faith in somebody else's testimony. You went out and tried it and you failed. Because faith in experience is not heart faith. Oh, you believe it worked for them and you try to make it work for you on their experience. So you see, that's not going to work like that. Faith won't work like that. But let me say this. If you stand on God's Word and, and are a doer of God's Word, you will have many experiences. But it won't be because of somebody else's experience. It'll be because of the Word you're standing on. Now, in verse 22, he says here, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Here's what he does. He forgets what manner of man he was. He has nothing to remember. He has nothing to remember about himself. No experiences. He won't have any experiences. He won't stand on a word. He won't be a doer of the word. His will be failure, defeat. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein... He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The man that looks into this law and continues into this law and is the doer of the word of God, he'll be blessed in his deed and have many, 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 many experiences under his belt. And the more you grow and the more you learn, how to appropriate faith in your life, the more of a reality will Mark 11, 23, 24, and John 15, 7 be in your life. Now, you've got one side of the fence. I keep talking about it all the time, where we have extremism, wildfire, fanaticism. They read the Scripture, Mark 11, 23, and they walk off and say, I can have what I say. And they start saying some things. And the things that they're saying are out of line with the Word of God. He did not say that you can have what you say outside of His Word. He said you can have what you say in line with His Word, if my Word abides in your heart. Then you'll ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. But then on the other hand, you've got those that don't believe Mark 11.23 or Mark 11.24. You can show it to them right there in the Bible. And the reason why they get scared out is because they see the other people that's in the wildfire fanaticism, you know, doing dangerous things, having their kids suffer, we're going to get into some of that, and doing wrong things needlessly, thinking that they know how to walk by faith, getting off in the areas of foolishness and presumption. And so they say, I'm not going to believe that sort of stuff. Boy, that's ridiculous. And they don't think about it at all. They don't even care about it, even though the Scriptures are right there in the Bible. What's wrong with the straight and narrow? What's wrong with learning how to walk by faith, as the Bible teaches us, and having a right mental attitude towards the Word of God, towards the walk of faith? I mean, how many of you know that John 15, 7 is true? But do you know what it says? That scripture is saying that you can get to a place in your life, in your walk with the Lord, that one day when His Word is abiding in you, as it should be, and you're in Him, that's of course, has to be true, that you'll get to a place that you can ask what you will and it will be done for you. Because you asked. That sounds like the Master to me that said, Father, I know that you hear me always. And whatsoever I ask, I know I receive. Scriptures in 1 John 5 even says that. 
That's your confidence in Him that whatsoever I ask, I know I receive of Him because I asked. You know what that's saying? Little old me asked. But in the sight of the Father, it wasn't little old me. In the sight of the Father, it was one of His children. Amen? So, we want to establish a right mental attitude concerning the walk of faith. Let's start in the area of having the call of God on your life. Having the call of God on your life. We have many misconceptions when people become Christians and have a call of God on their life, or let me, let me separate them. First, when you become a Christian, and then if you have a call of God on your life. There are many misconceptions. There are wrong mental attitudes towards what it means to be a true Christian and what it means to have a call of God on your life. Right off the bat, because a person senses in his spirit he's called of God, the first thing he does is quits his job and thinks he's going to get off right into the ministry. I'm just going to quit my job. I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to get right off into the ministry. See, that's a wrong mental attitude. And then, when your parents come home and say, what are you doing? Or come over and visit you and say, what are you doing? Oh, God's called me to the ministry. Well, how come you quit your job? My God supplies all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the Bible says I can have what I say. Oh, does it really? But you see, those two scriptures are very true, but those two scriptures were used wrong. They're not to be used that way. God will not contradict Himself. He's not going to contradict Himself. He's not going to contradict His Word. And I'm going to show you that the Word of God tells us what to do when we have a call of God in our life. The first thing anybody's supposed to do with the call of God in their life is to study to show yourself to be approved unto God, the workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Amen? That's the first thing you're supposed to do. Now, I'm going to tie this right in with your trouble. When a person has a call of God on their life, or if a person just becomes a Christian, it means trouble. It means trouble. As a matter of fact, if you have a call of God on your life, it means a whole lot of trouble. Don't get any preconceived ideas that if you're called into the ministry and you're up there preaching to the congregation or preaching to the people or being an evangelist, don't think that that person has no problems. Don't think that that person is, you know, separated by God and segregated by God from the world and from the devil and from the flesh, removed from his body or something. That person is going to be in the line of fire, the direct line of fire of the enemy. And your trouble's going to mount up. It's going to come your way. And talk about suffering. Well, we're going to show you some sufferings for Jesus that are going to come your way. But here's what I want to get into. A person will do this and they'll leave, you know, their jobs or they'll get discouraged in their jobs. They'll say, well, you know, I know I have a call of God in my life and uh, I just, uh, I have no interest in working here any longer. Well, that's all right. I mean, if you feel that way, that's fine. You may not be interested because you have the call of God in your life, but you still don't quit your job and you still don't stop working 100% for your employer. You don't do that. As a matter of fact, I can show you by the Word of God that if you have a call of God on your life, you are called of God to be an example under the people, under the church, under the flock. You're an example of the best kind of Christian living there is even in the natural realm. If you're called of God, I mean to tell you, you're out in the front. 
People are looking at you. No matter how much you want to deny it, people are looking at you. They're going to look at you. And you're going to be, like I said, in the direct line of fire. Because if the enemy can stop you, if you've been called of God, then he can stop all that God would do through you before it ever starts. And many ministries have been destroyed because these people had a wrong mental attitude about being called of God. Or walking by faith. Or becoming a Christian. And you can tie this in in every area. It doesn't matter which one it is. So, let's say this. The call to the ministry does not mean that one is to change his ordinary course of living. The call to be a Christian does not mean one is going to change the ordinary course of living. Did you go to work before you became a Christian? You're going to go to work while you are a Christian. Did you go to work before you got called to the ministry? Well, when you get called, you're still going to work. And until he's ready to usher you into the full-time ministry, you're going to work harder, probably than anybody. And you're going to suffer a lot. Yeah. I'll show it to you. <laughs> I could show it to you by the Word. I could show it to you by example. As a matter of fact, turn with me to uh, the book of Second Thessalonians. Paul is a great example, but I'm going to show you another, one, another example here. In 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, I want to show you how the Spirit of God will not lead you out of the boundaries of God's Word. This Word is directed and anointed by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will not lead you outside of God's Word or the guidelines of God's Word unless He directly speaks to you, I mean, and lets you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're supposed to do this or that. Other than that, we follow the norm in our Christian living. Look at the Scripture, the third chapter. Let's begin reading with verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Second Thessalonians 3, 7. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now listen to me. When I went to school, people had a wrong mental attitude about what it meant to be called of God into the ministry. A wrong mental attitude. They felt that since they were called of God, they didn't have to work. So, I mean, many of them. You would be astounded how many actually thought that now that I'm called, I don't have to work. You know, when your parents come to your house and visit you and hear you talk like that, especially if they're not born again, you're going to turn them off. You know how many 
fathers and mothers have been so discouraged with their children that got saved because they did silly things like what I'm talking about right now? Especially in the area of healing. Both. Both of these two areas are really important. Because they didn't use a little bit of wisdom that God gave them. You see, this life of being a Christian is not totally supernatural. You are a three-part being. You've got to develop and train your spirit. You've got to educate your mind and renew it by the Word of God. And you have got to develop your, your physical body also. And take care of your physical life. And if you put it in proper order, it'll all be done right the way the Lord wants it to be. And you'll be sanctified, holy, spirit, soul, and body. But some of them had the idea that, you know, if I just go on down there and obey God and do what God said for me to do, well, then uh, I don't have to work anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, having to find a job. My God will supply all my need according to His riches of glory by Christ Jesus. And I know that Mark 11:23 says I can have what I say. But did you notice that Paul said over there in 2 Thessalonians that if a man does not work, he shouldn't eat? And if any man walks disorderly among you, don't you even... Be a partaker of his company? Did you notice notice he said that? So how in the world can we be walking around saying that, according to Mark 11, 23, I could have what I say, according to Philippians 4, 13, I say that my God supplies all I need, therefore, I don't have to work, just because you're called to the ministry. And if you go to secular college, did you work your way through? Sure you did. Unless you had the privilege of having it paid for. You had to work your way through. Well, I want to show you something here about being called to the ministry that might surprise you. Look at... Well, let's finish reading some of these scriptures and then we'll go on to the book of Acts. For verse, verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all but are busybodies. Well, we can stop there for a while. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But you, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now for the life of me, I don't know why people get these silly ideas about faith. That faith is, is uh, a substitute for being lazy, you know, for working. For working just so you can be lazy and not work. See, that's not God, in God's plan. It never was and it never will be. Let's look at Acts the ninth chapter here and I'll show you what I'm talking about. In Acts the ninth chapter, unless you're ready for this, if you, if don't, even, don't even pray that you be called to the ministry. Look, look, look at what... Um, Jesus tells Paul, or Saul at this time, referring to Saul, he's talking to Ananias here, in verse 15. You know the story about Paul's, or Saul's conversion. He says, But the Lord said unto him in chapter 9, verse 15, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, glory to God, I'm chosen, to bear my name before the Gentiles, hallelujah, and kings of the children of Israel, glory to God. For I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, Lord, the first part was all right, but we talk about this last part here. Well, 
No, the life of faith is not all peaches and cream. And let me say this, you better learn how to walk by faith. And you better learn how to appropriate your faith, especially if you're going into the ministry. Especially if you, have a, you know you have a calling, you better study to show yourself approved to God. So having this wrong mental attitude that we're just going to go on and everything's just going to be fine, and everything's just going to be perfect, you know, and I'm going to go down there at school just like some of these other people had attitudes, I don't doubt their calling. You know about 300, 300 of them left when I was there that year? 300 of them. And I really don't doubt that maybe 50% of them were called. But you know, many are called, but few are chosen. As a matter of fact, at one meeting, when Sister Wilkerson was down there at the school, she saw in, a, in the spirit uh, an angel on a horse riding up and down the auditorium there. You know what she said? And uh, asked, uh, you know, what are you doing here? And uh, she, the angel said, I'm inspecting the troops. Many are called, but few are chosen. See, many of them had the same opportunity to serve the Lord. But you see, they couldn't be picked out because of their, some, in, in most cases, just lack of faithfulness. Listen to me. If you're called of God, beloved, and you know it down here, it's not up to God. It's up to you to study to show yourself to be approved to God. If you have that first step in your heart now that you know you're called, your second step is to get to the books. Don't try to find out another source. Don't try to find out another way when the Spirit of God has already told you in His Word to study to show yourself approved in the God. And when someone comes up to me and tells me, you know, well, I'm just going to go and start a church. Are you really? That's not the next step when you're called. You ought to study to show yourself to be approved in the God. Now, in the area of finances especially, because when you're called of God, so many, in many instances, it does mean starting life over again. In our case, it was. We had to start life over again. And we had to sell everything that we had, most everything that we had, and go off down to school. Like I said, far away. And uh, well, the first thing I did when I went down there was found a job. Well, I attempted to find a job. Now, I'm going to stay along these lines to show you and share with you the importance of having a right mental attitude towards God's Word. I knew that just because I was called and knew that I was called and knew that I was led and knew I was to be there... I don't care how many voices came along and, and tried to whisper in my ear, just sit back and relax and, you know, the money will come in. God will supply your need according to this and glory. Listen to me. I'd have to see the Holy Ghost have to just come down the street with a red hat on and tell me that. I mean it. Because that is contrary to His Word. Because the Word says a man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. I don't care if you're going to school or not. And part of your suffering means you're going to have to do a lot of work. Amen? That's right. Paul had to suffer many things for the name of Jesus. And again, if you're a called of God, you have to suffer a whole lot of things also. Just being a called saint, you're going to have to suffer a whole lot of things. So the first thing I did when I went down there, someone says, how are you going to be led? I am waiting to hear God. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal this. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal that. Beloved... The Bible is given to us by revelation and He has already revealed to us what we're supposed to do in our next step. My step was to follow the leading I did. 
When I got down there, I didn't get in my prayer closet and sit back there, you know, for day after day after day after day after day after day and wait. Well, you know, one of these days, someone's, a job's going to fall in my lap. Or an angel would knock on my door and say, are you Bill Anzavino? Yeah, well, I've got a $15, you know, an hour job for you. But you see, that's what some people think the life of faith is. No, when I went down there, I started the search and said, Father God, in Jesus' mighty name, I just thank you for the job that I have. And I believe I have it in Jesus' mighty name. And uh, the first job I got, because there were no jobs to be found, you talk about an act of humility and suffering. I mean, you just come out of the mill, you're making pretty decent money, you know, real good money for that time. And you go down there, minimum wage with a family. You know, everybody wants to leave their wonderful job and go to minimum wage, right? I mean, working down a mill, running a crane, doing nothing, right? Sitting there all day long. Have to go to work like a fool for a couple dollars an hour, right? You know what I'm talking about if you work down a mill. <laughs> Amen? So, there's no jobs to be found. I mean, I went to places that had that, you know, that type of work and there was no job to be found. There's so many students down there that you just got to take whatever comes along. And usually that's minimum wage. And no, I couldn't even find one of them. So I just signed up for this, what we call, what they call manpower. You've heard of that? I figured, well, I'll just sign up over here. Because, you know, the, I knew the Bible said that a man's got to work in order to provide and eat. So you see, you can't use Mark eleven twenty three and say, my God supplies all my need and not work. Can you see that doesn't work that way? So the first job I get is, as I said, I sign up with this manpower business. I want to show you how God works. And uh, minimum wage, not near enough, part-time, not near enough. They just call you when they have a job. If they don't have a job, they don't call you. So they call me up on the phone and they tell me where to go. I go to this place, there's nobody there. Construction site. site. All I see is, this, is one big cement slab, nobody there. I sit there, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, somebody shows up. Well... It was the boss. I told him that I came from the, you know, manpower and that sort of thing. And I said, uh, they sent me out here to work. So here I am. And uh, I said, but I just want you to know that I'm all, you know, if I find another job, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to work for them for, you know, minimum wage. I got a family. I'm going to school. I said, I need more money than this. You know, you got to make a little bit more money than that. And so uh, he said to me, he said, uh, I don't think I was even there two or three days. He says, I want you to come up with me to breakfast. He says, and uh, let's sit down. And I'll talk to you for a minute. He said, uh, well, if you're going to leave anyhow and you're going to look for another job, he says, why don't you just forget that business? He says, and I'll hire you on myself. Work construction for me. He says, I'll pay you $4 an hour. Back then it was under $3 an hour just for minimum wage. So I said, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll do that. See, I don't have to go to that company now. And already I got a dollar an hour raise in three days. <laughs> See? Now, if I'd have been like most people... Ah, uh, sitting down on their easy chair. My God supplies all my need according to the glory of Christ Jesus. But I'm telling you what, that really does. People do get a bad attitude when you do that. That's not right to do that. Wait, that's, I do not present that life of faith to anybody. I worked, and I worked hard. I worked hard for these people. It lasted up until December, Christmas, actually. We came home on Christmas break because the building was built and it was done. And uh, we worked there, and, and God... You know, it was part-time work. It wasn't full-time work, but at least it helped. Many times I had to believe God, but I'm not, I'm not going to get that aspect of it. Then I'll show you how God works. Then we came back from Easter, uh, from Christmas break, and uh, 
Now I don't have a job again. I've got tuition coming up. I've got rent for the, you know, apartment coming up. All these things are coming up. So we prayed about it again and found this store that was hiring. It's like a stop and go. Quick, they call it quick trip. Make a quick trip. You get in there and get out of there as fast as you can. And I looked at that thing and it said, yeah, come on in. And, and the, we're hiring. And it says, but you know, it's the night shift, 6.30 or 11.30 at night to 6.30 in the morning. And I said, uh, oh, I thought I was delivered from that, <laughs> you know, when I left the three shifts. But I said, praise God, I'll be there. So I went down there. Well, got another raise. I think it was like 470 hours, something, something like that. Went down there for more money. And uh, started working for them the night shift, working all night long. 11.30 at night, 6.30 in the morning. 6.30 in the morning was the perfect time. I'd come home just enough to take a shower. After the shower, go to school. You know, maybe get a half hour study or something like that, then go to school. Go to school, and then you've got to put toothpicks in your eyes. And you're sitting there, wide as they can be. And then you're stretching them up as high as they can go. Finally, you just go like this and watch the teacher, you know. <laughs> I said, oh, dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord. Just hold them up in the air, working all night long. I said, dear God, there's got to be a better way than this. But uh, let me share something with you about that job. That job that I had, I said it paid more money, but there were other Raymond students that had the same type of job, and they used to brag about, I only worked two hours last night and studied for four. I said, did you? I said, yeah. Turn with me to the book of Colossians, the third chapter. You know, being called of God doesn't make you any special person in the world in a sense that you're better than somebody else. And it does not say that you don't have to follow the laws of God just because you've been called of God. I said you'll have to be a better representative than probably most. In the third chapter of the book of Colossians, let's start reading with verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Hallelujah. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he had done. And there is no respect of persons. Now, while they were bragging about how they got by with only two hours of work, listen, I worked that store by myself, and they worked this store. But you didn't have no partner. And these all-night things, I mean, with the... A lot of students, that sort of thing. They was going all night long. I mean, you know, really, really busy. You didn't, you didn't slow down to like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I mean, you had to do everything. The night shift was responsible for doing everything to see that that store was spotless in the morning. From dusting everything in there to cleaning everything in there and this and that. And the, I mean, everything you could imagine had to be done. I never worked so hard. I said, Lord, I work for all that money down the middle here. I come and, you know, I got to work like this. For nothing. For peanuts. You talk about humbling yourself. You talk about suffering. And then I just can't even keep my eyes open in the morning and go to school. This is a picnic, right? But 
You see, they bragged they were studying. Instead of doing their work, they went in the back, opened up their Bibles, and studied for four hours. You know who saw them do that? Not the boss, Jesus. He's no respect of persons. For the wrong you do, you'll receive. That's right. That's the truth. That's why people don't get anywhere with God. I work so hard, and I'm not bragging on myself, I'm getting across a message to you. I work so hard for that company when I got a better job, and that's my next job, in three month, in nine month period of time I had three jobs, uh, because the Lord gave me more as the time went on. I got more and more, you know, increased. So, I work so hard for that company that I, I, I guarantee you right now I can call down there and I can say, look, I'm, I'm going to be in the area, can I have a job? Because he told me before I left, he says, if you're ever again in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you have a job. That's what he said to me. He says, I'll tell you what, he says, I don't even want to see you leave. He says, but you have a job. They said, there's never been anybody that ever did the work that you did at that store. I went ahead and did everything I had to do. And then I did all the things that nobody else would do. But you know what? While they was doing all their studying, see, then I had, of course, work study when, when my family time. And try to work that in. That's a part of suffering. I had to give up my family for nine months. Almost. You know. But you know what? And I, got, I say this again to bring a point across to you. I was an average student in school. Because I only wanted to be an average student in school. And if I got C's and B's, I was happy. But when I graduated from school, from Rainbow Bible Training Center, I had a 3.9 average and only had one only one test throughout the whole thing that I get one B had A's on every other one of them you know why because the Lord rewarded me every time I had to have a thought it was there Spirit of God brought all things to my remembrance he was rewarding me for what I was doing for him and those people at that store told me and this one fellow was a, from another denomination he says I've never seen it like this he said just, just your life is enough to tell me and show me that what you're saying is true and I know that you're right. Never had to say a word to the fellow because my life was living louder than even my words. Now that's why some people don't want to hear what you're saying because your life is living and speaking louder than the words you're speaking. But when your life lines up to that word, beloved, they'll hear you. Did you hear me? So the Lord promoted me again. He promoted me again. Who was I working for? Quick trip? No way. Jesus. Now, you ready for this promotion? This is fun. From $4.50 an hour to $6.72 an hour within a six-month period. Now, I start this job shoveling 20,000 pounds of rock a day. Isn't that fun? Isn't that wonderful? My God supplies all my need to go and listen to God to Christ Jesus. That fellow's still sitting back there. You know what? He didn't pay for any of his bills, got kicked out of his apartment, got shipped back to where he came from. Yeah, because of it. Well, anyhow, I got this job, uh, as I said, shoveling rock and rock pouring, you know. And, but this job delivered me from the night shift. And it gave me that wonderful afternoon shift. Four to eleven. You know what I'm talking about? Ward went to school all morning. Went to school till 12 o'clock, a little after, 12, 12.30. Got out of school, just in time to come home and say, Hi, honey. Hi, kids. If she was home, because when she got a job, she was working. So I just, just, just enough time just to come home and change my clothes and go back to work. You know, go off to work. 
I'd have to leave at three to be there by four. It was a long drive. So, every day, and this is in the winter, working outside. In Oh, you talk about the wind. The wind like it is out here has been like, it's like there every day. Out where that rock quarry was. And it was bitter cold. And you're walking out there, you know, in an old pit. And I mean, all you've got down there is a bunch of rock. And then when the sun sets, you look around. I look like a little mouse. I look up like that there. Mountains, rocks. And I realize I'm down here by myself. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me. <laughs> I mean, he's a long haul back up there to the top, and you're down there. And you know what I had to do? I had to go underneath there and clean out one of those crushers. They crushes the rock up to make the nice gravel that we drive off. Well, I had to clean up one of those things, and one of those things was the worst thing you ever wanted to see. All the rock piled up around it from the outside, all around the whole thing. I mean, everywhere you look, it, when I got there, it was all piled up. Well, nobody ever wanted to do that job. Nobody would do that job. They'd go down there and work for five minutes and put the shovel down. That was hard work. I mean, you had to bend over, you know. So, uh, not just sit on the crane. You had to bend over and do some work. So, there I am. I go down there. And uh, I says, I'm going to make this place look like it should be. And so I start my shoveling. 20,000 pounds, you know. And I'm working from the time. Everybody says, this guy, something wrong with this guy. Where'd this guy come from? He hadn't stopped since he got here. Then they go home and you're off there by yourself and I finish, finish. Finally, I got the whole thing all caught up. I had that thing. As a matter of fact, the boss said to me, he said, he came out personally to meet the fella that made the rock pit look like a picnic grounds. He said, I got to meet this guy. Who is this guy that's done this? And, uh, you know, I met him. He says, no, nobody's ever made that place look like, what are you doing? But you see, I... Now, well, of course, the, night, the afternoon shift was out there by yourself. The no boss was there. You just went out there, and whatever you did, you did. And, of course, everybody else said, this is too hard. I mean, this is too much. But, see, I got it to the place that it was taken care of. And every day I went out there, if I did that much a day, it would stop the buildup. So I did it every day, every night. And if it rained and the mud something or something broke down and it piled all over the place, then I had to work twice as hard to get it back to where I had it. But I saw to it that I had that place looking spotless when they came out every day. And when I left that place, the boss didn't want me to leave that place and says, are there other people like you at that school? I want them to come back and do the same job. Sure you would, you know. Well, find one. What I'm trying to say to you is this. The Father knows all that you do. You're not going to fool anybody. He saw my faithfulness. I had some sense knowledge, common sense rather, and sense knowledge, it does help. I knew that I had to do this for the Lord. I wasn't working for Tulsa Rock. I wasn't working for Quick Trip Corporation. I was working for Jesus. And I knew that a man's got to work to eat. But let me say something to you. Whenever, whenever we had a need, and whenever trouble came our way, do you know what happened? I see it so clear now. I can see I'm just like I'm standing right there on that lawn. In Tulsa, Oklahoma. When the need came, we got to the place that there's only two bucks left to our name. I was playing with my little girl outside in the, in the uh, playground area over there by the apartments. And I just stood there. See, I can relate to it now because I didn't have this knowledge then. I just said back then it was the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit. But as I was playing with her, the Holy Spirit whispered it in me. Almost, like, almost not real audible, but it's like a whisper. And I, I heard it and said, just like this. I mean, this was trouble. I only had two bucks left. It's a Sunday afternoon, almost towards the evening. Only two bucks left to our name. I got to pay uh, the apartment, you know, rent. 
over $200, and then uh, we didn't have any gas in the car, and I had to go to school the next day, 10 miles, 20 miles, and back to work, which was 30 miles. So about 50 miles I had to travel with no gas in the car, and I got two bucks, and that's in the checking account. That's not even in my pocket, so I can't even do that. I can't even go to the bank. It's Sunday. Trouble was all around us. But you know what happened? In that darkness, there arose a light. Holy Spirit whispered in my ear. That's why people don't hear it, because they're not faithful. Whispered in my ear and said, Mark eleven twenty four says, you've got to believe you receive that money before you ever get it. And it just about knocked me over. I said, what? And then I repeated it. Mark eleven twenty four says, I've got to believe I receive that money before I get it. I said, yeah. Now I got a hold of it. See, light came. I got a hold of it now. I see it, Lord. Yeah. Light came in darkness. Light came in darkness and said to me those words. Now I got Scripture. I got the Word. I'm faithful doing what the Word says to do. I am working. I am doing everything in my power to lead a perfectly normal life. The call of the ministry, the call of Christianity doesn't change you from leading a normal life. You work. You make your bed. You go to, you know, you do all this and pack your lunch. Everything you got to do. When you're a Christian, praise God, but only you do it in a new joy. Amen. And so the light came to my spirit and every time we had a need, that need was met. And on that night, that afternoon rather, it was towards the evening, we went to that bedroom. I put the two bucks, to the, the checkbook that had the two bucks on the bed and the Bible, you know the story. And on the next side of it, and I said, uh, okay, the word says it, so I believe I received the $200 right now. Do you know that when I said that, I, I see it right now so clear by these 10 steps. I knew that I followed those 10 steps. And it wasn't hard to do it. Because I knew now, because the word said it, and I knew I was in line with his word. I received that $200 just as sure as I got it in my pocket. I received it just as sure as I'm standing here right now. I knew I had that money before it ever came my way. I knew it. See, on the inside, I knew that I had that money. But you know that part of it. I want to share something else with you. I don't know if you know this or not. That $200 wasn't going to do me any good for the next day. I had to get up Monday morning and go to school and go to work. And I had to go 50 miles traveling and I'd have no gas in the car and didn't have any money. How do you do that? You know. So I sat down. Here's, you look at the light. You, you know he says he's able to do exceeding above above all you ask or think according to the powers that work within you. And so I sat down behind that desk where I was studying after we prayed. I was assured I had the money. And I'm studying before I go to school. And again the Spirit of God whispers in my ear and says, go upstairs and pray for Ozzy. Remember Ozzy and Louise came here and shared that from uh, South America, South Africa. Well, I said, now, Lord, I've got to go to work here pretty soon. I'm doing my studies. I got, this is the only time I've got to study. I've got to study and I've got to go to work. You know, I've got school tomorrow in the morning. Uh, he said, uh, go upstairs and pray for Ozzy. I said, all right. You know, I said, all right. I pushed back. I said, okay, I'll go upstairs and pray. See, the Lord will give you direction when you're walking in the light of his word. But if you're not going to follow the leading of his word, you don't think you're going to get off somewhere and pray and he's going to give you direction, do you? Did you hear what I just said? If you're not willing to walk in line with His Word, what you know to do, do you think He's going to go off and get you just because you separated yourself in prayer? If He leads you anywhere, it's going to be back to His Word and say, I told you so right here in my Word. So, you know, I, I, I was obedient. I pushed back the chair. I went upstairs. I mean, there was trouble all around. There was trouble all around. If, if, this, if this didn't happen, I, I, know, I still don't know what I would have done, but I was just still believing God. 
See, when you believe God, you don't get off the Word. You just stay on the Word. So I stood on the Word and just thanked the Lord that I'd received the $200 and thanked the Lord that everything was taken care of. So I mosey on upstairs and I open, knock on the door and I, I feel silly. when I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. I've got to make sure that, that the Lord has knocked me in the head before I ever go and do something like that to somebody. Go upstairs and pray for him. Amen? How do I make sure it's God? So I went up there knocking. I knew it was. That's why I went up there knocking that door. I said, uh, Brother Ozzie, I said, you may think that I'm off a little bit. I said, but, it's 9 o'clock at night. I said, but, the Lord told me to come up here and pray for you. He said, oh, glory. He says, come on in. I don't doubt it for a minute. He says, just come on in here and come on and pray. So I went in there and, I, and, I, and he shared with me that he had something to do tomorrow. And he was all upset about it and quite nervous about it and, and so on and so forth. And says, I'm really glad. He says, now I, I, I know for sure that the Lord wants me to do this and etc. etc. So I says, okay, brother. And I prayed for him. And he was all full of the joy of the Lord. We rejoiced and praised God together. And I walked out the door, walking down the first flight of steps. And I'm ready to walk on down there. And all of a sudden he says, hey, wait a minute. And I said, well, what do you want? He says, get back up here. I said, well, what do you want? He says, I said, I got to go to work. You know, what do you want? He says, just get back up here. He says, now the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, here. And he gave me a $20 bill. And I looked at him and said, Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. I said, I don't doubt that. Glory to God. I don't doubt that for a minute, brother. Glory to God. Not at all. I said, Thank you, Father. There's gas money for the car. Beloved, the life of faith is a life of being out of the boat. It looks like you're going to drown, it looks like you're going under. It looks like if God doesn't help, there is no help. But you know that's when faith works? When you're out there. Everybody wants to have it all drawn out on a map for them, each step to take. But beloved, God's Word comes first. You've got to stay right here in the Word of God. You've got to make sure. Now, I'm going to show you something else. I, I said to you I was in line with God's Word. Let me show you something else. I'll show you what got us through financially. Book of Malachi. People have misused this or don't, or don't use it because they don't understand it. You may not believe it, but I'll tell you what, I know it works. Let's begin reading with verse 8. Now, it sounds like to you, and it certainly looked like it to me, that there was no way possible we could pay our tithes. And one would think, and some of them thought, well, Lord, will you excuse me nine months of paying my tithes? After all, you called me to the ministry, so just excuse me nine months from paying my tithes. Well, I wouldn't even think of doing something like that or even think of saying something like that. Paying our tithes got us through financially. Tithes came first. Look at this. Will a man rob God? Verse 8. Yet you have robbed me, but you say, Wherein have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows, open, open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast their fruit before their time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice that scripture. Neither shall your vine cast their fruit before their time in the field. 
Now, I knew that I was in line and obedient to what the Word of God teaches about being the worker that I was, being obedient. I was not putting my calling or school as, you know, something that I should say to make an excuse, making it as an excuse not to do what everybody is supposed to do for Jesus and what everybody is supposed to do to make a living. I did not put my calling before that. I did not put the fact that I went to school before that. I still was obedient to do all the things that I had to do to lead a normal life. So we did that. Now this here reminds me of uh, Brother uh, Caps and someone else in the scripture where they actually saw the miraculous. Where Brother Caps, you see, he was sowing his rice out in his field. And uh, the rain came and it just was so bad that, that it, you know, all the seed, everything that, it was just destroying it. It was starting to corrupt. There's just too much water, you know, decay. So, he walked out there to his field. Now, here's a man obedient to the Word of God. Now, now listen, keep these thoughts in mind. And remember the life behind the person that's doing these things. He walks out into his field, opens up his Bible, <clears throat> and he quotes Malachi, third chapter. And he says, you said that my, my crops will not be destroyed before their time. Everybody else in that whole area, everybody else in that whole area, they dug it all up and, and re, you know, planted and everything. He says, I'm not going to plant it up. He says, I believe that your word is true and you said that they will not die. He walked up and down and spoke to that field of rice all over that field according to that word and had the best crop there was and nobody else around him had anything and didn't dig it up or anything. Everything came up. And another fellow who had planted uh, cotton, he was in the cotton business and uh, all his cotton was like little golf balls. They didn't open up. And they wouldn't open up. So he got out his Bible, did the same thing, started walking up and down, start quoting. He says, I'm a tither, Lord. I'm a tither, Lord. Look what you said here in your word. Look what you said here in your word. And as he was walking up and down the field, you know what happened? Pop, 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 pop. Everything, right before us, everything was popping right over. Had the best crop. Because it was a tither. Did you see why it happened? He followed the word. The Spirit of God will lead you in line with God's Word, not apart from it. So if anybody thinks that you, you're going to walk in financial prosperity and not work, you've got another thought coming. Not by God's way, anyhow. Are you hearing me? You've got to line up with the Word of God. Now, unless He actually speaks to you and says, look, don't work for three months, well, make sure it's awful loud because the Word does not say that. You follow what I'm saying? I don't care whatever it is. You follow the leading of the Word and the Spirit will take you then from there. He'll lead and guide you in any other way that you should go. Well, I can give you experience after experience after experience after experience after experience about how many times the Lord did these things for us and delivered us. But I want you to remember that along with every experience, the Word of God was being appropriated in our lives. Now, for instance, you take the area of divine healing. You take the area of health. People, they seem, for some reason, they get into uh, not a clear-cut understanding of, of how to believe God for healing. And uh, they do some foolish things because they don't practice the Word. They don't, uh, you know, allow the Word of God to lead them and to guide them so that the Spirit of God 
could show them his way of healing at that particular time. Because sometimes it's different ways. But if you'll go by the general rule, and if you'll begin to appropriate the book of Proverbs, the fourth chapter, verses 20 through 22, he said, My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they, my words, are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, are you hearing what I just said? People want to be healed. They believe in Mark 11, 24 and 3. They believe in Matthew 8, 17. But they are not attending to God's Word. Attend means daily attending to God's Word. It's like the fellow that's not working. Only now you're not attending. And because daily you're not attending to God's Word... Some calamity comes upon you, you know, down the road somewhere. Well, if I was daily attending to God's Word, then I would have had direction and light from His Word in the time of my trouble. But when darkness came, confusion came along with it, and you didn't know which way to go. And right away you got upset. Then you got heavy. You didn't know what to do. Your head started hanging low. You started getting sorrow and sighing. You didn't know which way to turn. But if you were obeying God's Word in the first place and attending to His Word that says that it will be health and medicine to all your flesh, then when the need came, the answer would have been there. Did you hear what I said? But people don't want to attend to God's Word in the area of healing, and because of it, in the time of trouble, they don't know which way to go. They don't know which way to turn. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life, but if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am, and I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.